The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 839 for Monday, October 19th, 2020. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. Sometimes we bring questions of our own. We often bring tips and cool stuff found of our own. The goal is each and every one of us learns at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include mintmobile.com slash MGG, sunbasket.com slash MGG, linode.com slash MGG, and expressvpn.com slash MGG. We'll talk more about each of those later here in the episode. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in rather chilly, fearful Connecticut, this is John Efron. Yeah, man. It was uh, when I when I got up this morning, it was like 38 here. So, yeah, 38 Fahrenheit. Uh, we had a fr we had a frost warning for uh, inland locations. Mm. So. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, it was. Um, it's getting cold. It's getting cold. We um, we got a new boiler this week. So that was exciting. They they, oh, fun. they routed um, all our zones exactly wrong. Like not one of them was routed correctly. So like, and I had a feeling. And then yesterday I went into my like bottom floor of the house and it was like 78 degrees because the master bedroom was calling for heat. Um, so that was fun. So I had to rearrange him and you no, know, the, the guys were like, we can come out and fix it. I'm like you come out on Monday and fix it. I'm about to cook dinner. So anyway, Fun stuff. We have, um, we're going to talk about, uh, we've got some Wi-Fi questions. We're going to talk a little bit about Big Sur. We're going to bring that that topic back as I think we're very close to the release of Big Sur. So we will we will bring that one back. Uh, like I said, some Wi-Fi stuff. We've got some tips. And we'll start with, if, uh, if, if it's okay with all of you, we'll start with Cool Stuff Found. Raphael starts us here and says, I was looking up the weather on my iPad this morning, and I remember you were looking for a new weather app. I'm always looking for the best weather app. Um, yeah. So he says, I've been using Weather Live from Appalon since 2016, and I like them. I'm using their paid version, and it integrates well with both iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. Thank you, Raphael. Very cool. We will put a link to that in the show notes, the Weather Live app. What weather app do you use uh, regularly, Mr. Braun? Um, uh, I think the weather.com or Yahoo weather. Okay. Those are the two I have on my phone. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Weather live, you know, it, but I need to try it because as I need to try them all, but I like being able to see at a glance what the temperature is, you know, what the forecast is. And I, I, I really find I have yet to find a weather app that that gives me all the data I need without showing me the narrative, right? Especially as we head into winter, I like to know like what the predicted snowfall is and things like that. And I just like the 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 best one that I've found. Well, it doesn't exist anymore, but but Weather Underground is is the one that gives me sort of everything that I need or close to everything that I need. I also like to see radar because here in new England, the radar actually truly helps us. It's the best predictor of what's actually going to happen. So, um, 
So anyway, that's that's that. Yeah, good, cool. And on the Mac, I use uh, Weatherman Light. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't use. Which, uh, yeah. Huh. And it has all of that data and it has alerts. So like, you know, if there's an alert, you'll see like right now I see a little triangle warning triangle. So there's some sort of, uh, I don't know, flood warning or something, or maybe that frost warning. Yeah. Interesting. And what that's, what's that called? Weatherman light. All right. On the Mac. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We will put that, uh, put it all in the show notes. Great. Cool. Thank you, Raphael. Nice little start to things here. Uh, and then moving on up, I thought, but maybe not. Uh, oh yeah. Right. Uh, Dimitri mentioned a finder alternative called commander one from Ultima software. And I think it's come up before, uh, it is in setup for those of you that have set up. So that makes things a little bit, uh, a little bit more interesting. It, it gives you a two paneled finder view, kind of like a transmit view, but just for the finder. Um, so you can, you can see what you've got going on and, uh, makes more use of tabs and hotkeys and things like that. So if you are, I, I've never really been able to get, I have yet to find a finder alternative that catches my, my workflow attention. Have you, do you, do you mess with any finder alternatives? Did you ever John at any point in time? Uh, yeah. On the, I can't recall the name of it. Okay. But. Yeah, at one point, yeah, I'll, I'll see if it if it comes to me. But yeah, at one point I was because they offered you know a couple of compelling features that were not yet in the Finder. But yeah, I'm all right with a Finder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Uh, and he also mentions PDF Squeezer again, similarly in Setup for compressing PDF files quickly and easily. This is you know this is one of those things that's that's often an issue for me, especially if I scan something and then need to send it, it, the, the resulting PDF is huge. And I've built my own quartz filters for, uh, for compressing PDFs. And it's really, it's not that difficult. You just kind of build a, a profile that says, okay, compress JPEGs this much. Don't do this, you know, to make it so that it, it compresses them, but not terribly and all that stuff. Uh, but it seems like if you've got set up especially, but either way, PDF squeezer might be easier than having to concoct your own, uh, your own, your own quartz filter. So thank you for that, Dimitri. Very, very cool. Anything to add to that, John, before we keep moving along? Uh, no. And I think the one I was using was total, no. to uh, total finder might've been I'm looking at a list here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I used that at one point, but that wasn't the one you were thinking of. Uh, no longer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I still think there's another one. Oh, well. All right. Okay. Could be. I'll dig, dig in the archives. All right. Cool. Uh, Allison, uh, over at, at Podfeet from Nozilla cast, she, uh, alerted us to a very cool thing. She wrote up an article about this back in September, uh, where she learned from her neighbor about how to use, uh, your iPhone and specifically classic invert functionality on your iPhone to view negatives of your photos. So you turn on classic invert classic. So dark mode, as we know it on the iPhone today 
has a long and storied history and it started with invert colors. Right. And, and we even talked about it on the show. Like if you're at a concert or, you know, somewhere where you don't want to be shining the bright light of your phone behind, you know, the people behind you, of course, this is back in the days when concerts actually happened, but you know, uh, we recommended turning on invert and then, but it made photos look weird. We'll circle back to that part of it because you can see the punchline here, but then it went from classic or invert to smart invert, where it would invert the colors on your screen from, you know, like backgrounds being from uh, white to black and that sort of thing to keep it dim, but wouldn't mess with your photos. And now we have dark mode, which is sort of the, the evolution of that. And this is why we always say accessibility often has some cool features that can be used in ways different than their primary function. And that's, this is one of them, right? Well, classic inverts still there on the phone. And like I said, it makes photos look weird. Well, it doesn't just make them look weird. It, it literally makes them look negative. And if you have a negative, well, it makes it look like a photo. So you can use the camera on your phone and, and you don't have to take a picture or though you could, uh, and in classic invert mode, and there you go. So taking a picture, though, will not result in the photo being saved inverted. It takes the picture like it normally would. It's simply displaying it inverted. So you could put it back in invert mode and, and see the photo inverted. But like, it, for example, for her piece, Allison needed to take a picture of her iPad with her phone. So that's the only way you can really get that as far as I know. So anyway, uh, pretty cool stuff. So thank you for sharing that. Never even thought about using it that way. See, this is the cool part. This is how we learn, John. Any thoughts about that before we, uh, before we move along? Of course, links to all this stuff are in the show notes. Yes? No? No, I'm good. Okay, cool. <clears throat> Uh, moving on to James, we were talking about switches, uh, recently, John, in episode 836, so a few episodes ago, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he said, uh, ubiquity has released a couple of new switches that you may want to look at. One of which only costs $109 and has four ports of POE. Uh, and indeed he's right. Unif ubiquity has released their unified light switches, not light switches, but unified light <laughs> Ethernet switches. Uh, very cool that they're doing this. You know, Unify stuff is generally, uh, especially on the, well, they are managed switches. They are not just smart switches. Again, these terms get, get thrown around a lot just to sort of narrow it all down. You know, managed means one interface to us here in Mac Geekab parlance. Uh, managed means one interface to rule them all. Where from one interface, you can see all your switches. Smart switches means that they have an interface, but each switch has its own. Um, and, you know, there's some benefits, obviously, to having one managed interface, especially cloud managed, so you can see it even if you're over there somewhere else, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But these new um, Unify light switches, they have uh, a 16-port one for 199 and an 8-port one for 109. So that's interesting that uh, that these are coming available because it's it's way less expensive than you know you would previously pay for these kinds of things which is cool um i have been messing so i gotta check those out i have been messing as i mentioned i think at the end of the the last episode with um a series of d-link uh switches i, I grabbed a bunch d-link sent me a few and I actually i want to buy another one um 
in the DGS 1100 family, which are smart switches. So they each have their own individual interface, John. So I am now running pretty much everything through smart switches here uh, in the house. And, and it's, I think things are smoother. I, you know, it's one of those things that I will know more over time, but I am, I turned on uh, spanning tree protocol STP in all my switches because uh, a, I wanted some loop protection and didn't want to just use the built-in loopback protection, but also uh, I run Sonos gear, which runs STP everywhere. And so I figured that was perhaps a source of, issues and i figured if the switches were stp aware that might be helpful in you know in, in sorting things out but it's a little weird because when you turn on spanning tree protocol uh, what it does is it essentially looks for traffic that's happening in loops uh, by sending out signals and seeing if it gets unexpected signals back on different ports right and in order to keep a loop from happening these switches perhaps other smart switches the same way uh, these switches essentially block everything on a new port that's connected until they are confident that there is no loop. And then they let that port come live. And, and that means a delay sometimes of up to, you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds from plugging in your Mac into a port to getting it. Your Mac will say I'm connected, but I don't have an IP address yet. Right. And then, you know, it's because it's being blocked and then traffic is unblocked and the DHCP request goes through and, and then it gets an IP these D-Link switches have the ability, some of them, not all of them, the larger ones, 16 and 24 ports have this ability to set what they call um, the port fast mode. And one of the port fast modes they have called Edge, which is essentially, they say, use this, but only on individual devices. So don't put this on the switch. So things that are on the edge of your network, not part of the branches and trees, uh, so essentially, you know, like one of the things. And, and so I did that, but it's still delaying. There's a weird thing. Like it should be letting my stuff, um, you know, but like for my iMac, for example, it should just, you know, I have that port set to edge and it's still delaying a long time. So I gotta, I gotta dig in, but I do like the idea, you know, I'm glad you pushed me in this direction. Uh, it, it's a little much to have four different web interfaces to, to configure, but quite frankly, once you get them all up in tabs in your browser, it's not that much different than a managed interface. Obviously, I can't do it remotely without like VPNing in or something like that. But um, it, it it's it, it I I I think I like this better. But we'll I mean, really, the proof is in the pudding. Do things stay reliable uh, and all that? I really would like to get like notifications from my switches when they notice a loop or a problem or a packet storm. And I think I would need to turn on SNMP in these switches and, and, you know, run some app on maybe my disk station or one of my Macs that constantly pulls them to ask for this information. I, I wish there was a, a better way. And maybe there is, maybe somebody out there is like, dude, you're missing something. So tell us feedback at MacGeekab.com. So. I hope we don't get a, stuck in a loop here, Dave, but uh, I think I heard you say feedback at MacGeekab.com. Yeah, there's going to be some sort of BDPU packet coming around when I say feedback at MacGeekab.com. It's going to block it. That's it. It's not going to allow us to say it anymore. So so anyway, yeah, it's um, it's fun messing with those. So I don't know. Do you have any, any you, you, you only run one switch, right, John? So you're not in a mm -hmm. loop scenario. Okay, got it. 
Yeah. So you're probably not running like STP on your switch or anything like that, right? I don't think so. Okay. You could be. I mean, you know, there are two flavors. There's spanning tree protocol and rapid spanning tree protocol. RSTP is newer and by most accounts better, but Sonos is STP. So I stuck with STP for now. We'll see where we go. Uh, any other thoughts on that one, John? I, th I have a feeling that will be a recurring theme as we promised. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Uh, let's see. Listener Dan has a cool stuff found uh, with an app. He says, uh, the when did I type of app has been very valuable to me. He says, I've been using an app called Last Time for tracking these kinds of things for years. For example, uh, anytime I get a new item or appliance, I add it. When the washer is broken, I can look and see in seconds that it's 13 years old and probably not worth the cost of a repair. I've even put in my work shoes and have discovered that they last three months. And then my feet start to have pain if I don't switch them out. For my dog, too. I can track how long ago I gave her a new flea collar. She needs insulin twice a day, every day, uh, twice a day, every 10 to 14 hours. The app tracks hours, too. No more adding and figuring out if I'm too late or too early or when the heck I even gave her the last injection. Basically, everything you need to remember but never do is in that app. Uh, it's really convenient to have uh, and freeing, too, he says. So that's pretty cool. I like things that I like the, the more of these apps that I hear about, the more that I start to kind of grok, um, grok them. I like this. This is good. This is good. Do you use an app like this, John, to, to keep track of when you last did things? No, uh, I got a little whiteboard in my, uh, on my fridge. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean like <laughs> I'll that, put yeah. to do's on that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Cool. Uh, one last cool stuff found my friend is that after the last episode, I reached out to Belkin uh, who, uh, because I was wondering, would the, you know, the magnet in a mag safe, you know, ch car charger, for example, be strong enough to hold the phone up or would you need pressure mounts on the side, you know, and they said, Oh no, 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 no. The MagSafe mount is more, is going to be more than strong enough. So they've got, I know they've got one, um, mount coming out that, that will hold this. It's called the MagSafe, MagSafe car vent mount pro, but looking at this, it doesn't appear to charge it which is weird. It says it has cable management built in so that you can charge it, but I don't think this particular mount will do the charging. It looks like it will just mount and then let you plug in your phone. I feel like there's, there's an opportunity here and perhaps a future product from Belkin um, to, you know, to, to actually do the charging and, and have that all built in. Cause that to me is the, the panacea, but knowing that the magnet can hold it, for the new phones, that's key. So at least we're stepping in the right direction. Somebody's going to do it, even if it's not Belkin. So keep your eyes peeled. Um, you know, I want to, so uh, there, there have been some, um, 
some uh, pre-sales that have happened with Apple devices in the last couple of days here, John. And I think you and I both placed some orders and are planning to place some orders. So I would like to talk about the things that we are ordering or planning on ordering just to kind of pave the way for, uh, for everybody here. But the next thing I would like to do is talk about our two first two sponsors here, if that's okay with you, my friend. Sure. All right. Our first sponsor here is a new sponsor for us, but not something new to me. And that is Sunbasket at sunbasket.com slash MGG. How would you like to skip the grocery store and have delicious meals full of organic, fresh produce delivered straight to your door, right? Like that's, that sounds good anytime. That sounds especially good right now. And that's what I've experienced with Sunbasket. Like I said, we've been customers of Sunbasket in the past and we're very happy to have them on as sponsors here. Sunbasket delivers that fresh, healthy, delicious food, really delicious meals straight to your door. They have these really yummy recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences. So it doesn't like if you don't have any dietary, you know, special diet things, that's fine. If you do, that's also fine. Paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, pescatarian, you name it. They probably have it and they've got a big long list and they make it super easy and convenient with everything being pre-portioned and ready to prep and just cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic, fresh produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. And they've got some really yummy things to choose from. Hoisin steak strip lettuce cups with pickled daikon and carrots, roasted salmon with miso glazed eggplant, black bean tostada Diablo with cabbage slaw and guacamole. I need more Diablo in my food and I can get it from Sunbasket. And you can order meals, you know, anything from across their menu. You can skip a week whenever you need to or double up. You know, it's simple. No, there's no like gotchas or anything. So, but there is a special deal. So that, that it's kind of a gotcha, but it's I got you, not I got you. You know what I mean? I got you. Right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash MGG and enter promo code MGG at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash MGG and enter promo code MGG at checkout for $35 off your order. One last time with feeling sunbasket.com slash MGG, promo code MGG, our thanks to Sunbasket for sponsoring this episode. You ever search for something online and you don't want other people to know what you were searching for? Maybe it was a Christmas gift. Maybe it was a gift for yourself, if you know what I'm saying, right? Like, I know most of you are probably thinking, why not just use incognito mode, private mode, right? Private browsing, that's what it's for. Well, it helps in some ways, as we know, but it doesn't hide in every way. Doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. And that's why, even when I'm at home sometimes, I use ExpressVPN. Because it doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon or Comcast or OptOnline or whoever, right? ISPs here in the USA can legally sell your information to ad companies. You don't necessarily want everything that you do on the internet sold to ad companies. You might not want anything you do on the internet sold to ad companies, right? And ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites that you visit. 
ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data on the way in and out. And their trusted servers there, it's really cool. Everything lives in RAM with their trusted servers, so they, they can't store anything. It's not just that they say they don't. I mean, they do say that they don't, but it's they don't because they can't. That's pretty cool. And ExpressVPN is available on all of my devices and yours too. Phones, computers, even your smart TV, right? So there's no excuse for not being able to use it and... I've got a deal for you. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. And it's also the one I use. John uses it too. It's super easy. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash MGG, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's right. That's expressvpn.com slash MGG, expressvpn.com slash MGG to learn more. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. So new hardware, right? You and I both placed some orders uh, the other day, uh, last Friday. So iPhones 12, two of them, the middle out iPhones 12. I love that I can say middle out now, right? So there's, there's four iPhones 12. There's the mini, the 12, the 12 pro and the 12 pro max. And the two in the middle, the 6.1 inch models, the 12 and the 12 pro went on sale on Friday. Um, I ordered a 12 pro, uh, in what, what do they call it? Pacific blue. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting that on Friday. I hope we're going up to the lake for the weekend. So it might actually, uh, be delivered. And then our daughter will put it in the house for us. But anyway, um, so I'm, I, I'm looking forward to that. You are waiting on an iPhone, but you did order something, right? Yes. So, um, yeah, I saw it on my Twitter feed. It was an article um, uh, by Charlotte. Um, and the title is New 10.9-inch iPad Air Available to Order. And I'm like, cool. So, so I ordered one. Um, because at this point now, I have the original uh, iPad Air. And uh, <clears throat> all it's... It's old, right? Like it, it won't uh, accept uh, uh, iOS fourteen. It's so old. So I'm like, well, time to upgrade. Sure. So, um, yeah. So I ordered, um, I ordered one, uh, sixty four gigs, blue, uh, with cellular. Um, I'll, I'll probably, uh, probably use Mint for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, there you go. Oh, cool. <clears throat> uh, for for data. So, um. So yeah, it's on the way. And uh, I applied uh, an Apple gift card that I got when I traded in my Mac Mini. Uh, so that took a few bucks off of it. But um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Yeah, so you will get that. And the, t and the Touch ID I like. Yeah. I Oh, no, that new iPad Air is something... Like, like we said, when, when they announced it, you know, it, it sure blurs the line of, do you need an iPad called an iPad pro, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it, that's a, yeah, that's a powerful little thing. I'm, I'm curious to see how you like it. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm glad you were able to get it for Friday delivery. That's even better. So cool. I like it. That's good, man. And, uh, and you have not yet ordered an iPhone 12 right because you're 
you're waiting for one of the other models. Right. I, I, yeah, we decided that, uh, the, the mini would be the, uh, would it be the best choice for me? Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, you got to, that, that uh, yeah, I think November, beginning of November. That's right. Yeah, November um, 6th. I'll have to uh, send a reminder um, to get that happening. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I, I, I am also going to order a mini on the 12th. Um, and I, if it doesn't work out, I'll either return it or, or, you know, pass things along in the family here. kind of need another one anyway, but I'm, I, it will not surprise me if the mini becomes my daily driver phone. Uh, I've, I want to see how I do with the, you know, relatively smaller size, but it's not that much smaller from what I'm coming from with an 11 pro. Uh, and, and I like the idea of a smaller form factor for sure. I, you know, you know, I was a huge fan of the original SE when that came out, what, four years ago, uh, and then have obviously gotten bigger and bigger phones since then. And, and I, I miss that, that size of phone. So I'm really curious. I, and I've heard a lot of people like you, John, you know, that are like, hey, I think the mini is the right size for me. And I, I think this is going to be the, the kind of the, the runaway horse in this race. I, I think they're going to sell more minis both because of cost and because of form factor, because of size, like it, it, it's going to deliver a lot in that, that little package. Um, it misses out on the pro cameras. Sure. Okay, fine. But you know what? If enough people buy these things, Apple will realize, wait, we could sell a mini pro and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, that might happen down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Very, um, very, very interesting. Yeah. Cool. Any, uh, any further thoughts on, on that, John? No, it'll, it'll bring me, it'll drag me kicking and screaming into the face ID world. Oh, that's right. Well, no, your iPad will do that. Right. Right. I mean, like that your iPad will also have face ID. So I'm, I'm curious how often on your iPad, right? Doesn't the iPad also have face ID or no? Am I getting that wrong? No, uh, has touch ID. Right. But it does not also have the face ID. Air has, okay. I don't think any device does both. It's one or the other, right? Right. That, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're right. I was, I'm conflating. I get all the iPads confused, man. I like there's, there's too many of them out there. Uh, somebody pointed out, in fact, the last week I misspoke. Uh, I mean, I misspoke based on the fact that I didn't have the right knowledge uh, that the iPad, not the iPad Air, not the iPad Pro, but the iPad has a lightning connector still, whereas the uh, and and I believe so does the mini. Right. But the iPad Air and Pro have uh, USB-C connectors. But, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess there is no. I thought, you know, I had it in my head and again, you know, don't trust my head folks. It's, it's I barely trust it. Uh, but I had it in my head that, that because this is so much like an iPad pro that of course it had face ID, but you're right. Totally right. It doesn't, it's, it's got touch ID in the, in the thing. So yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious about how the, 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 uh, we'll call it the workflow, but the, the user experience of that is like, you know, waking it up, it, you just touch that and it's automatically touch IDing you kind of like 
the old home button would, you know, where it's, it's all just part of the flow and very natural and, uh, and all that. So yeah, cool, man. And yeah. And you'll have a Wi-Fi six device. Although I guess your iPhone, no, your iPhone eight isn't Wi-Fi six, the SE of 2020, which it looks the same is so. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, you know, very, very cool. Um, you want to take us, we've got some questions here, John. You want to take us to Darren? Yes. So Darren says, I use video download helper as an extension in Mozilla. Uh, I think he means Firefox. But um, uh, I believe you mentioned that you do too. Have you noticed that it no longer works for YouTube videos? Any chance you figured out a workaround? I'm guessing Google did something to thwart downloads. Um, yeah, so I, I may have used it at one point, um, but when I look in Firefox now, Dave, in the add-on section, I see the following. It lists video download, and then it says disabled. Video download has been disabled due to security or stability issues. So there could, you go. That could be it. Um, these days, Dave, uh, we mentioned it before, but uh, what I use for all my video download needs and uh, uh, so far so good uh, is something called Downy uh, right. from uh, from within Safari. Um, so there's a trial. But the good news is that if you are a setup member, Dave, Downy is one of the things that's part of setup. So. Cool. That's uh, that's what I do for downloading video. Cool. Cool. Downy it is. Yeah, man. That's great. I still use YouTube-DL from the command line. Um, you know, I, I just, I do that. And then, I mean, it's part of, I installed, it's not, it's not in the terminal by default. <laughs> It'd be amazing if Apple shipped with that. There'd be a whole thing about it. Um, Google would be pissed probably. But anyway, um, the, uh, YouTube-DL is the YouTube downloader, command line YouTube downloader that I've installed with Homebrew. You can install it any way you know you like, uh, of course, but I find Homebrew to be the easiest thing to use. I like that package manager. But yeah, it works works super well and um, you know, it stays up to date. I haven't had an issue with it. So, But I get the, like I do totally get the appeal of having it within the browser. I guess I, I have two reasons for not using the one in the browser. A, I don't do it all that often. And I like to limit the number of, you know, things I have integrated in my browser. And number two, I almost always want to download to my disk station, right? I don't want to download to my downloads folder and then copy it over. Uh, Cause sometimes I'm downloading movies that are, you know, like often it's live concerts that I want to download so that I have them and I can like mm. watch them on my TV and Plex. And of course I know I can do that on YouTube too, but it's just way easier to, to have it. And sometimes I'll watch them on airplanes. And so anyway, long stuff, often multiple gigabytes don't want to be filling up my drive with that stuff. So, um, so I just go to the terminal and change to the, to the directory of my disk station movies, you know, folder. And, and I just slurp it down there and then it's there. So, but I'm guessing you're about to tell me that Downey can let you set your favorite download folder. Yeah. I would hope so. Okay. <laughs> you're probably, I mean, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it doesn't just be like, Nope, this is the only place. So, so, but you know, yeah, I, I save it to my, uh, yeah, I think right now it, it puts it in my movies folder. Mm. 
on your Mac or, or like movies folder yeah. on your just, ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. Fun, fun, fun. Um, Dan has a question for us, Mr. Braun, and I will get us there. I promise. Uh, where is it here? Yes. Dan asks, he says, I'm wondering if both of you can talk about the best actions to take to not get caught with ransomware. Uh, I use FileMaker to basically run my business. I don't ever want to lose that info. Uh, I do back up to the Synology drive, but is ransomware smart, smart enough to encrypt that as well? What are the best measures to take to avoid it from happening? Or if it does happen, have it ready so you can move on with a swappable backup and not worry about it destroying your company slash income slash life. So this is a good question, John. Um, my first thought is offline backups, right? You know, like rotating air gapped backups that you're doing however often you can't afford not to. Right. I mean, like that, that should protect against ransomware. Right. So, uh, what do you think? I have some other ideas, but let's go back and forth a little bit. If you have thoughts on this, uh, running something like malware bytes, um, it's probably a good idea. Will malware bytes catch the ransomware things? Uh, I think it may catch some. Okay. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I mean, you know, that, that would be one thing. I, I have a tangent to take us on about malware bytes. But but let's stick with this for a minute here and then and then come back to it. Um, so, all right. So we've got that. You know, I, I like to, I like to, especially when it comes to not getting caught, um, you know, with backing up and things like that, I like to be able to do it, to do things, to have things done automatically. I like to be able to set it and, you know, mostly forget it because I will forget it. And if I say I'm going to rotate the, you know, drives out once a month, sure, I can put it on my calendar or whatever, but, you know, I'd rather have it just happen magically. Uh, but, of course, the issue with ransomware is, you know, is it, like Dan asks, is it smart enough to go and, you know, find your other things? I guess you could do a carbon copy cloner. He says he has a Synology. Um, so, you know, some sort of network storage that is not your Mac, but I'm wondering if setting up carbon copy cloner to do say weekly backups or daily, um, but you know, rotating them so that you've got data going back a while, uh, to not just a folder, but to a disc image, right? Um, and, and maybe disk images in two different locations so that the malware, you know, so it's really only doing, you know, one, maybe it goes to one place the first week of the month, the second place, the second week of the month, you know, and, and, and rotating it around so that it's happening. I don't know. I mean, would, would there be a world, I guess, I guess if carbon copy cloner can auto mount an image and make changes to it, so could a piece of ransomware, right? So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What else? What do you think? Yeah. What else, Malware bytes on their page, one of the features they say is it it crushes ransomware. So 
once they know about it, it crushes ransomware. As Kiwi mm-hmm. Graham says in, in the chat room at live.macgeekup.com, zero-day ransomware might not be picked up by you know antivirus, anti-malware mm-hmm. software. Ransomware can also hide itself for several weeks to try and affect your backups as well, which we've heard about for sure. Um, yeah, I know that... Um, and he, he also says, you know, antivirus software that checks for lots of byte changing at a low level can help. I know that... Um, Oh man, why can I not? Acronis, right, makes uh, a piece of software that will protect against malware. Um, and I know, and really, it's actually, I think it's even just Acronis True Image will do it, right? Because it's it's doing that byte level protection. So uh, that's. That's another one worth checking out uh, for for protecting this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they say that they've got uh, anti-malware and anti-ransomware as part of this. So because they're doing exactly. So they say anti-ransomware and cryptojacking protection safeguard your files, apps and systems by detecting and stopping ransomware. Uh, and then it will real time restore any affected files if necessary too. So that that would be something to look at. I know that they're doing exactly what KiwiGram is saying that they're looking at your uh, low level byte changes and being like, wait a minute, this is not okay. And then automatically having backups of those things. So we will put a link to a Cronus True Image in the show here because they're in the show notes here at macgeekup.com. Uh, remember folks, you can go to macgeekup.com and subscribe to get the show notes delivered automatically via email to you each week. And we don't spam you unless you consider getting the show notes spam, in which case we definitely spam you once a week. And we highly recommend if you see that as spam, just don't, don't subscribe. <laughs> um, so here's the thing about malware bytes. I, I've talked before how I have a keyboard maestro script that, you know, reminds me to launch malware bytes. And I do that. Um, recently I thought, you know, it's not ever finding anything and that's good, but maybe something else would. So I ran the malware scanner inside clean my Mac and it found some things in like my downloads folder, nothing terrible, but it did find some things in folders that mail malware bytes should be checking because you know, I don't like that. You don't filter malware bytes. It just does. It checks where it thinks it should check. And so I, I, I need to dig deeper into that, but I'm curious if any of you out there have dug into this too, because I'm not, you know, I like to be able to have tools I can trust. And I'm, I'm, I'm now questioning if malware bites, I mean, certainly it's, it's my first line of defense, especially for folks that are having an issue. It's super easy to download it. It's free, you know, to do the, the, the on-demand scans anyway. And, and that's great. You know, it's easy to run. It's great to use with clients, that sort of thing. But, uh, and I have had it find stuff for sure uh, and remove it, but it worried me a little bit that, you know, it's like, wait, there's something else out here that's, you know, that's being found. I got to dig deeper into that. So I don't know. Have you, have you experienced it? Have you like compared to other solutions to see? I'd be curious. Cause I think you have clean my Mac. Oh, I know you have clean my Mac. Cause you have set up. Um, Yes. I don't run it that often. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the other thing with, with, uh, the other thing you want to keep in mind is to practice safe browsing. 
I mean, ransomware is, from what I understand, requires you to install something. And usually you have to, you know, input your admin password. But, um, and I'll have this happen every now and then. And actually, I've, I've gone on uh, phishing expeditions, if you will. Um, the best way to get an offer to download an update to your Flash player, Dave, is to search for um, episodes of popular shows. Yes, for sure. Because that, redir- that redirects you to uh, uh, somewhat questionable sites. Um, and usually they're, they're full of uh, all these scam ads. But I have downloaded some of these, you know, fake flash installers. Yeah. And, um, and actually either Apple gets it with their X protect. Um, and I've had, I've had them identify it as uh, identify things in the past. Like I'll download one of these, you know, supposed flash installers and try to run it and you'll get a message from, from, uh, uh, the X protect saying, Hey, this is going to damage your computer. Throw it away. Yeah. Huh? Huh. But um, yeah, but I've had I malware about identify things yeah. too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it could come from browsing. I, I know the people that have come to me and been like, can you help me buy some Bitcoin so that I can pay these people to get my key back, which is a terrible phone call to be on regardless of which side mm-hmm. it, it, it is. Uh, I always feel for people that are in that scenario, but um, all of those have been from something that they got via email, not, browsing like for the people that can trace back to how they got it which is most folks like most folks know like ah, oh, i know what i did you know and it's a phishing email of like hey you know here's a thing it's going to help you with your or you need to do this for your kind of whatever and they click the link and boom you know there it is so that it yes it involves the browser for sure but um but it's always been originated by email from the from the folks that i've heard from so yeah just just be careful um Kiwi Graham, I believe someone else saying Dr. Dream uh, is saying that uh, Drive Genius version six or version five, I guess. No, Drive Genius version six adds a uh, uh, malware engine that he says is finding things that malware bytes is not. So we will put that in the show notes, too. Yeah, it seems like now, again, to be fair, when I did this with Clean My Mac recently, and I do need to revisit it, um, but when I did it with Clean My Mac, it found some things, and I looked at the list, obviously, and none of them were like, oh, I need to go delete this file. It's like, oh, this old Word document has, you know, a a macro in it, or, you know, those types of things, where it was like, yeah, I'm not worried about it. So maybe Malwarebytes is making that same decision, but uh, I'm not sure, you know, that that's its job. I, I think it's... Uh, to me, it's like, tell me what you find and then let me decide. So, so I don't know. I got to dig back in before we, but, but, but Malwarebytes may be losing its first, uh, first call status here, or at least, you know, yeah. Anyway, where are we here, John? Yeah. Um, let's see. We have some Wi-Fi stuff to talk about. We've got some big Sur stuff to talk about. I would, um, and now, uh, are you, you're not, you're running Big Sur, right? But not, not full-time, like, like not a, not as your, not as your primary operating system on any of your Macs, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I have it on external drive right now. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about some of this Big Sur stuff in a minute. Um, I, what I would love to do right now 
is talk about our next two sponsors as long as you are okay with that, my friend. Okay. All right. Breaking up with your old wireless provider just got a whole lot easier. Thanks to Mint Mobile. They were the first company to sell premium wireless service online only. And by doing so, saved you a lot of money. Saved us a lot of money, too. And now Mint Mobile is introducing their unlimited data plan for just 30 bucks a month. Let's let that sink in for a second. An unlimited plan for 30 bucks. How much is your soon-to-be ex-wireless provider charging you? Right? I mean, like, you know, I, I, let's say you've got four people on your plan, so that's 120 bucks, right? But here's the thing. A, that's cheaper than what you'd pay with the big ones for four phones on your plan. But here it gets even better because with Mint Mobile, you pick per phone, right? You just get a different account per phone. You don't have to have them all together. It's, it's just not how that works. So unlimited for one, maybe you use unlimited, but you know, does other people in your family use unlimited? If they don't ratchet them down, save a ton of money, you get them down to like 15 bucks a month. Aha. Now you're really saving, right? And like I said, by going online only and eliminating all those traditional costs of retail stores and all that mint mobile passes the savings on to you. All their plans come with unlimited talk and text and then all this high-speed data, either unlimited or whatever you want to get. It's great. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. So to get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 30 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash MGG. That's mintmobile.com slash MGG. You can cut your wireless bill to 30 bucks a month with unlimited at mintmobile.com slash MGG, our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Linode. You know, no matter what you're working on, be it a personal project or a big thing at, you know, for your company or work or whatever, like, you know, you, you want to set up a Minecraft server, no problem. You want to set up a web server, a little web server, fine. You want to set up a big web server, fine. Like Linode's got you covered because you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. And you can make it so simple because Linode's Linux virtual machines allow you to develop, deploy, and scale everything that you're doing, making it faster and easier. And here, it gets even better. I love this part because I get to tell you that if you get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash MGG, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash MGG, you start with $100 in free credit just for being a Mac Geek Cab listener. Again, find all that at linode.com slash MGG. Their least expensive server, by the way, five bucks a month. I'll let you do the math there, right, on what you can get. But of course, you can scale up if you need more. That's how it works there. Linode's got 11 global data centers and provides 24-7, 365 human support. There's no tiers or handoffs or anything regardless of your plan size. So in addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 in credit on S3 compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes. I know I love saying that. And more. So visit linode.com slash MGG and click on the create free account button right there to get started. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, as almost as much fun as saying managed Kubernetes is saying Mac OS Big Sur. Actually, managed Kubernetes is way more fun, but still, uh, here we are, Mac OS Big Sur probably coming out. I mean, you know, Apple surprised everyone with uh, iOS 14 in kind of an overnight thing. So 
I'm assuming we're going to get a similar like, hey, by the way, tomorrow or right now, here's Big Sur. Uh, so I started running it, John. And really, the thing that keeps me from running every beta of Mac OS, in, at least in a full time way, is the mail plugins that I use. Small Cubes Mail Suite. I highly rely on two parts of it, um, not mail tags, believe it or not, although I, I know lots of people that are gaga over mail tags, and that's certainly the flagship product as part of the suite. But I use Mail Acton for filing and and kind of moving mail around within mailboxes, which I suppose is also filing uh, and and other things. And I use it to, to delay my email from being sent, having a two minute delay on every message after I hit send is life saving. I will talk about not getting caught. That's how, that's one of my secret tricks right there. Uh, and then I also use SIG pro so that I can have signatures, even though I have all my mail accounts consolidated. Well, this past week, small cube came out with their first beta for, um, for Mac OS big Sur, And that opened up the floodgates for me. I was like, great, fine. So now I am running big Sur full time on my laptop. And, uh, and I'm finding, so, so I will put a link to the small cubed mail suite beta, uh, in the show notes, of course, for those of you that are looking for that one other and, and mail sees a lot of changes. Um, it's a whole new UX, which I, I, most of it, I like it's, it is very different. I mean, things are, are basically the same. But in terms of just the way it looks and the way it feels and the touchability and all that stuff, it's 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 different, as is all of Big Sur. Um, one nice thing is that we talked about it initially, but getting to set the width of my columns in Mail's columns view is like like the the dark year of Catalina is almost behind me, John, where I get to only live with apples column with decisions or the, the Mondo column as people call it. But um, yeah, so there's that. Um, when I first launched mail, my favorites bar was gone, but I was able to bring it back. So that was good. Uh, I'm not sure why it went away, but, but in general mail is, is quite functional. Um, one place that things are, well, let's talk about it. Have you, have you spent any time in mail or anything like that or, or, any other portions of Big Sur that that are worth kind of talking through? Mm, not really. Okay. All right. That's fine. No, no, no. I, I, I kind of figured you might not be running this. So um, the the menu bar is another place of change, and um, there is not yet a new build of iStat menus. Um, iStat menus works in Big Sur. It's fine where it looks a little wonky is in light mode. So it's fine in dark mode, but in light mode, the new translucent menu bar causes iStat menus to look a little weird. Um, and there is, there are two utilities that are out. Uh, one is called certainly not S U R T A I N L Y not linked in the show notes. And the other is bomb or boring old menu bar to bring back the Catalina menu bar. I've tried them both bomb gives a better user experience. I think than certainly not, but they both solve the problem and change the background of the, the light mode menu bar to what you would expect. And then I and, and more specifically what I menus would expect. And, and so it's fine. I'm sure the folks at I menus are going to fix this for 
uh, for Big Sur. They just haven't, at least we don't have a public beta of it yet. So we, we don't get to play with it. Uh, because the menu bar changes, bartender, for those of us that like to hide and, and you know, manipulate things in the menu bar and control the menu bar a little bit better, uh, bartender has a beta of bartender four out. And so that is you like, that's mandatory. You cannot run bartender three, but the bartender four beta is available. So, um, and it, it works, it works fine. So we put, I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Things are weird though. In the menu bar, John, I stopped showing Apple's version of the time in favor of iStat menus version of the time, which would then give me like my calendar and a drop down and controllable and all that stuff. Uh, I don't get to do that anymore. I mean, I can, I, but then I have two versions of the time because near as I can tell, Apple's time is permanently displayed in the menu bar now. So, um, you know, there's that. Um, the, the menu bar is interesting because you get control center. Think There's more space in between things in the menu bar, John, which on my laptop, I don't mm -hmm. really like. Uh but like with iStat menus, I use the combined thing to so that I'm using iStat menus spacing, not Apple spacing. And that actually really collapse things down a lot for at least, you know, those three or four uh, items. But yeah, there's, there's a spacing thing. And I wonder if somebody's going to find a, you know, defaults right command for, for that kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's, yeah. yeah, go ahead. After I installed it, it did yell at me about, so it said I had one legacy extension from Intel, which was kind of weird. And then little snitch yelled at me too, saying, I, I don't understand. Oh yeah. Doing, so yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So my guess is Intel is your Intel power gadget extension that it might've yelled about. Maybe. Mm. May, I mean, maybe um, I did read this from Apple uh, installing a new kernel extension requires signing in as an admin user. You must also restart your Mac to load the extension. Kernel extensions using certain deprecated KPIs won't be loaded. And and there's like network ones uh, and uh, and I and and network and human interface ones. So not disk ones, which is good. Um, uh, for more information, see this thing. There is a workaround during development, Apple says. Now, whether or not this is a thing that, you know, will be available long-term to mere mortals, probably not. But here is this. During development, you can temporarily disable system integrity protection to allow deprecated kernel extensions to load. So it means that Big Sur will support them. It just won't allow you to load them, which I found very interesting. So... Maybe, you know, there is, there are workarounds for this. So it's not like the code to support them is gone. It's just the allowance of them being supported is gone. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, right. So, so there you go. That's, that's what I got, man. Um, all right. Uh, anything else from this? Oh, the messages app. My goodness. Thank goodness. The messages app now gets all of the, you know, your favorites that you put at the top in iOS 14 are just automatically there in the Big Sur messages app. You can do inline replies uh, in the messages app. And, hmm. and like, those are really like, those are great. I don't know if you've been using those on iOS 14, the inline replies and stuff makes a huge difference, especially in group chats. But quite frankly, even in one-to-one -one chats where, you know, you got a couple of different threads going, then you can just break them out into threads. It's really nice. Um, hmm. 
shift return to add a line. This is not something that I, I can do in Catalina and I can do it on iOS. Like I can hit return before I send a message and, you know, have like three separate sections to a message with lines between them. It's nice to be able to do that sometimes. So I'm not sending somebody three messages. Like here's one message with three things and, uh, and shift mm -hmm. return lets you do that in the messages app in, in, uh, in Big Sur, which I really like. So, um, so yeah, so we'll be talking more about it. We'll be using it. We're here to answer your questions about Big Sur. So feel free to start sending them in. Uh, happy to test some things for you ahead of time too. That, you know, all that stuff that we do here at Mac Geek Cab Central. I don't know what we call that. So, yeah. Uh, any more thoughts on that before we jump on to networks here, John? Nah, the only thing is, you know, it did it again. So what I did is I made a copy of the SSD in my um, MacBook Pro and then ran the uh, the beta um, installer in the external drive. The thing is, it still touched my internal SSD. I don't yeah. know why it insists on doing that. Yeah. Because I got this, uh, I, I'm getting another one of these warning. I, I'm getting this warning I got before, which eventually caused my system to uh, spiral out of control. I don't know. But I got a, a warning. Uh, it said, warning, container has been mounted by APFS version 1677.40.51.201.1, which is newer than what you had before. I'm like, oh, great. So where are you getting this warning? Uh, disc, uh, uh, utility. Okay. If you, uh, do a, a first aid and then it comes up with the line after that saying, uh, over allocation, um, uh, detection, disable, type right. this to re-enable. So that's interesting because um, I, like you experienced that when you put big Sur on, uh, another volume on the same physical disc the first time around. Right. Or, uh, no, no, I put it on an external drive, oh. but w what I did that I shouldn't have done is that I mounted my SSD at some point. This time I tried everything to not let it see the, uh, the internal SSD, but it's still at one point touched it. Is your internal SSD like, encrypted? Um... I recently enabled File Vault on it. Okay. It's actually another interesting story. Um, huh. Well, here, here's the interesting story. Um, might as well mention it. Yeah, so I wasn't sure if I had um, in, in, or enabled File Vault on my... Um, and actually, I had not. because You know, when I, I re, uh, redid my system a while ago from a backup. Sure. Um, Enabling File Vault on a T2 enabled machine is like flipping a switch and that there's no work done. That's correct. It is a, flipping a switch. That, I mean, it, you are correct mm -hmm. because the drive's encrypted regardless. It's just... It, right. Right. It, it, is it being protected? Is the key to decrypt the drive being protected with your key or not? That's mm -hmm. essentially right. Like that's what's happening because the T2 chips already were encrypting the drive hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So did you right. encrypt it before doing the big Sur thing? Did you turn on file vault rather before doing the big Sur thing? Yes. Interesting. Huh? That's weird, man. 
because it like I never experienced any of this the first time. I mean, this time around, I mm. just put Big Sur. I like I upgraded my internal drive to Big Sur. But the first time around, I mm -hmm. did it to an external and didn't have this. And and my drive, I mean, it, you know, I have File Vault enabled and it's a T2 equipped Mac and, you know, all of that stuff. Huh. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm not running it on my daily driver. You know, it's, I mean, I use it. I use that machine every day. It's my MacBook Air, but it's, I'm not running it on like the iMac in the office or here in the studio. It, you know, those are, those will be on Catalina. The iMac in the office, I'll probably put on, on Big Sur the day it's released, unless there's some showstopper. Uh, the, the one here in the studio will probably wait until, you know, a couple of months. That's, that's usually how it goes just because, you know, stability. And I don't like surprises here. What we've got enough moving parts while we're recording. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I got to dig more into this. One of my kids schools, I don't know if I'm supposed to, sh I don't know if this is, you know, it's probably not confidential because they told the entire student body, but they said, don't, um, don't update to big Sur when it comes out. We'll let you know when our networks are compatible with whatever big Sur is doing. So I don't know if it's that there's like a VPN that's incompatible because of the network extension thing, or I, like, I don't know what the, the reasoning behind that is, but I thought that that was interesting and, and it's, it's probably for good reason. You know, I, it, it would be my guess based on kind of the way they were. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like one of these, like, well, it's new. So stay away from it. It was like, there is a specific thing that we need to resolve and please wait for us to do that. So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And right there, Dave Ginsburg in the, in the chat points out that, a lot of rogue amoebas apps, which we use for podcasting here are not yet big Sur ready. They've got a page about that. Uh, but, uh, but some of them are, but uh, like audio hijack is not yet. So, um, but we'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes for sure. Faux show, faux show. All right. Um, yeah. Kiwi Graham says caution on corporate networks would dictate waiting regardless of specific items. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Speaking of networks, let's go to Dennis here. And Dennis asks, uh, I think Dennis asked. Yes. He says, I ran into some strange behavior with my Eros and I wanted to get your thoughts. I have three Eros, one in my office where it's connected to the cable modem, one in the dining room and another in the living room. This allows coverage of the entire house, including the screen deck and even the Tesla in the garage. Earlier this week, I saw my Apple TV stating that it lost internet connectivity. So I restarted it, but it continued to happen. About the same time, my wife was seeing similar issues on her iPad Pro. Now I could see it was connecting and then disconnecting continuously. I had it forget the connection and then I had it try reconnecting, providing the password. It kept saying the password was incorrect. I even tried to have my phone that was connected share the password, still said it was incorrect. I restarted the Eero that was connected to the cable modem, but the problem persisted. I probably should have looked in to see what my uh, what Eero my wife's iPad was connected to and restarted that, but in, hinds in hindsight. Uh, says, but in an effort to get the family back to working uh, well, I just used the Eero app to restart each of the Eros. When they all came back, the connections were solid again. So while I didn't find out exactly what the problem was, it was at least working again. Thoughts? Yeah. So this is interesting because what it's when you see that password is incorrect, 
It could mean that the password is incorrect, but it could also mean that the negotiate for another reason, the negotiation, once it got to the password point failed. And what that can mean is that you are too far away from the base station that you're talking or the access point that you're talking to, to successfully negotiate that encryption, right? Because there's a handshake that happens and all that stuff. I see this all the time. It's like passwords incorrect. It's like, no, I'm just not close enough. Like, so, so that's probably what was happening to you here based on the other symptoms that you have. And also based on your solution. My guess is that one of your heroes had lost its connection to the backhaul or had stopped providing front hall for some other reason. And your devices were not connecting to it instead connecting back to one of the ones that's further away. And you were seeing connectivity issues resulting in all sorts of different symptoms. Restarting those uh, was a good thing. Now, uh, what I have done is I have my um, thing box, John set to alert me when certain network devices go offline. And one of those is, or one of one group of those is my mesh access points. So I figure out what the IP addresses are for each of my mesh access points. I put those in my thing box to notify me and then they notify me. And that I have found to be very helpful uh, in diagnosing weird problems like this. And in fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I probably should put my switches into that as well so that I get an alert if one of my switches goes offline, because that of course would cause all sorts of issues. So yeah, um, that, so that's, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's what would happen. Um, now why your era went offline or stopped doing part of its job or all of its job, I don't know. Clearly it was online at some level because you were able to restart it from within the app. So like it, that does seem curious, but I don't know. What do you think, John? Uh, I've had, I've had similar happen in that, um, you know, I'll be doing Netflix or something like that. And then, you know, I'll look up at the, at the screen and it'll say, you know, connection lost or it just stops. Sure. And I'm like, okay, now what? Because, you know, uh, I have my computer in front of me. That seems to be working. And then I'll look up and I'll see the red light on the Eero. And I'm like, oh, great. Mm. So run the Eero utility. And uh, I don't know what causes it, but it would list. Oh, well, whenever I see a red light on the Eero, I then go throughout the house or run their utility. But usually I just go throughout the house and I'm like, okay, does anything else have a red light? And... um Usually they don't. And like, okay, well, here, here's how we solve this here's, one. Here's how you Cycle fix it. power on that arrow. Yep. And that's, uh, that's what fixes it. So. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, in, in this scenario, my guess is there was not a red light on his Eero because if that's the case, usually you can't restart it in the app either. Um, right. You know, that's, mm -hmm. but, but sometimes you can, like, it depends on what the red lights there for, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. PJ in the chat room points out that in Eero settings, there is a restart all Eros option in settings, advanced restart network. So for those of you looking for that too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You want to take us to Thomas, John? He's got a little tip for us about Wi-Fi passwords and sharing, I think, right? Um, yes. Uh, 
Okay, so Thomas says, I have a follow-up to the question from Pete in show 837 about how to prevent password sharing from a Mac. I haven't tested that. I haven't tested this, but it should work. Well, I did some testing, actually. Um, download the Apple Configurator 2 or another profile editor and create a profile with just the Wi-Fi credentials in it. Then delete the Wi-Fi password from the keychain and be sure that it doesn't come back. Now install this profile in the admin account. Now you can use the Wi-Fi again, but you don't have the password viewable anywhere. This also works on iOS devices um, in that you can't get the uh, the key from inside the profile, but you can use it on the Mac. Maybe it's possible in the admin account. So um, if anything, Dave, this uh, encouraged me to update my uh, MDM setup. Okay. Uh, so one thing is I ran Apple Configurator 2, and then it said, um, oh, I got to download an update or something like that. So if you haven't run Apple Configurator 2 in a while, run it. Um, now, once it was running, Dave, so I, I like the idea of setting up a, a Wi-Fi profile. So once running it, I went to File, New Profile, Wi-Fi. Um, and from what I can see, uh, a profile over, overrules whatever logic the device is using to connect to the network. And I actually tried two things. Uh, one, I set up a profile and unchecked auto-join. Um, and if you do that, uh, I remember we talked about this in the past. This is also uh, this is also a way you can prioritize which access point your uh, iOS device connects to. So, so one thing that the, this does is if you if you disable auto join, if someone um, takes that phone or that device, it, it will not auto join the network. Right. Um, here was the other thing I tried. Um, I actually created a profile that had the name of my uh, Eero network. Okay, but I put a bogus pass. But I put a bogus password in. Uh-huh. So what that did is actually the phone would try to connect, and it would say, "Oh no, I, I I can't because you don't have the password right, dummy." So that could be another way to uh, prevent people um, to get on your network. Huh. Um. Let's see. Yeah, so so this uh, is I think he's right about this, John, because I I have been on networks where the way I get on is by getting a profile, right? And it, for example, Comcast's you know network, right? Is th they don't have a um you know, they you download a profile, it's specific to your account and it's installed on the device that you're on and that's it. But that password, like just because I have that profile on, say, my iPhone, my iPad does not have the uh, magically have the ability to connect to that network. I need to go through the profile steps on that and on my Mac and on my, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that confirms that. I mean, really, all the profile is doing for the Comcast thing is adding the network and your credentials. That's it. And mm -hmm. and so I guess what I'm saying is it's not them adding it to the keychain. It's just using the profile to do it and keeping it local on the device. So that really would be the way I like this. Yeah. Mm. Um, the only thing I would say is that, um, uh, uh, I'd be careful about assuming that the password stored on a profile is secure 
because I actually looked at the raw text of a profile file, Dave, and it's not encrypted or anything. Really? So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Is that, um, yeah, well, I mean, a profile is, is it's an XML file, right? Right. It needs to be readable by the device that's about to use it. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Really? I need to like, I need to test that with a Comcast. If you run configurator, you should be able to pull off the profile files and then. Right. Look at them on the Mac. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? Um, now, uh, so the other part of this is that, um, on the Mac side of things, if you want to manage profiles, uh, I run Mac OS server. The problem is my setup was broken. It had all those certificates and it kept complaining about SSL errors. So I did a full wipe of it and, um, and reinstalled it. And then, um, I was able to create a, a Wi-Fi profile because configurator two, uh, does not make profiles that you put on a Mac that you have to do with a uh, Mac OS server. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, all right. So John, you could I also, just, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, the, so, uh, that you can use to, uh, create a Wi-Fi profile on the Mac. Okay. And, uh, you know, similar claims would, uh, would apply. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that messing with the keychain entries. Uh, I, I guess my conclusion here is so I like the idea of profiles. I don't know if messing with the keychain directly is something that I would do, um, especially if you're using iCloud keychain. Why not? I mean, the whole idea is to remove it from the keychain so that it's not being shared with all your other devices and therefore also not being offered to be shared with other people's devices. Like that. That there's no other way to get it out than than go remove it from the keychain. That, to my knowledge, uh, yeah. The thing is, if it's an iCloud keychain, I don't know if um, if fiddling with it is necessarily a good idea because then you're going to disable the ability for other people to log in, right? Well, only you. You're not getting. What am I missing here? I, I no, I'm just misunderstanding. Like, I mean, your keychain is only yours. It's not going to mess with like someone else, right? Right? What am I? Who else can't? If I take it out of my keychain, who else can't log in? You. Right. Okay. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. So, but if I take it out of my keychain and then install a profile that has the password, now mm-hmm. I can log in because the profile's got it. Okay. Right. 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 I mean, like that's, you know, it, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and while you're in iCloud keychains, every Wi-Fi network, any keychain, doesn't matter whether it's iCloud or not, um, any, mm-hmm. every Wi-Fi network shows up as airport network password even though mm-hmm. it may not be running airport hardware, right? Like all right, right. Wi-Fi is, it doesn't say Wi-Fi network password. It says airport network password. Mm-hmm. So, which is handy, I guess. So, yeah. Okay. No, no, uh, uh, I get it now. Right? Like that, that would be the path. Mm-hmm. Get that out of there so that it's not there for you to share with anyone, et cetera. So, right, right, right. I downloaded a, a custom-made Comcast Xfinity 
uh, mobile config file, right? Because I went and I said, I'm on my Mac. I want to connect to the Xfinity Wi-Fi networks. Get me the profile. And it's like, cool, log in, do the thing. It downloads. Obviously, it happens very quickly because I did it mm-hmm. while we were here. And it's a mobile, .mobile config file. So I opened it up in BBEdit. At the beginning and end of the file, there's some gibberish. But, but I'm not sure what the gibberish is for because it, the file is an XML file, as you said. Mm-hmm. And if I look... Uh, there is a key for auto join, right? There is a key for EAPC or EAP client configuration. And then in the dict mm-hmm. uh, section for that key, there is a key for username and a string with my Comcast username and a key for user password mm-hmm. and a string with my correct Comcast password, all in the clear, mm-hmm. as you, as you said, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and then things about like what servers are trusted and, and things. So it's more than just username and password, but basically it's username and password mm-hmm. because it's a, uh, like it has to say that these are the only things that are trusted to authenticate and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, man, like mm-hmm. you're not messing around. It's right there. It has to be there. Cause otherwise how could my, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Huh. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This is security by obscurity, man. That's how it works. I like mm-hmm. it. All right. We have time for a couple of things. We had some comments about widgets, John. And so I think it's worth having this conversation because we were talking about weather apps and widgets. And we got some some interesting comments. Uh, Listener Gray wrote in and said, uh, Dark Sky has a widget. And sure enough, um, he showed where searching for a widget. There was the Dark Sky widget. I thought, well, this is weird. And I searched on my phone, latest version of Dark Sky, no widget. Okay, interesting. And then listener John uh, also chimed in that uh, two other apps have widgets, Carrot Weather and Weather Channel. Uh, So I wanted to throw that out there too. Thank you, John. And listener Ben solved some of my confusion, John. Uh, And we'll link to all of these because it's, it's handy. Uh, and listener Ben pointed out that, well, I'll, I'll read what, what listener Ben said. He says, uh, you mentioned not finding weather widgets. I concur. However, you didn't specify that you were looking exclusively for widgets of the new iOS 14 style weather apps that have previously had widgets from the pre iOS 14 days still work. They get placed underneath newer widgets in the widget list and also cannot be placed on the home screen. So this was my problem is I was trying to add like dark skies widget to the home screen. Not yet until dark sky builds one of the new iOS 14 style for the home screen. It's in the widgets view, which is, you know, still off to the left or whatever. So, so some apps have widgets. Not all apps have the same kinds of widgets, which I thought was Widget, I thought was interesting. I don't know, but there's something in there, John. So, have you been messing with widgets on your uh, on your phone? Uh, some cool. Any favorites? Yeah, some are new, and some are the uh, the the legacy ones that mm. are all like contained in a in a single pane. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. So, any any apps, any iOS 14 widget apps that that come that strike your fancy? Um, no, huh? 
I mean, I like the battery one. I think I mentioned um, that that will uh, also show the battery level of your uh, earphones if you have earphones. So I thought that was kind of nifty. Other than that, mostly just uh, stuff I had there before. All right. So how would I get to my old style widgets, though? I, I mean, I believe Ben when he says they get placed underneath newer widgets and can't be placed on the home screen. But I don't see where those widgets are because I can't ah yes now never mind I do yeah if I swipe to the left okay I got it yeah you gotta swipe to the left to a screen that's hidden and then boom there it is so yep mm-hmm. okay got it yeah so so you it's not like swiping to a home screen to the oh, I guess it is kind of like swiping to a home screen that's to the left yeah yeah okay so it, there's all my old widgets I gotcha I gotcha Kind of like the widgets that are available on, on iPad OS. Now it mm-hmm. makes sense. Okay, cool. Thank you, listener, Ben. I appreciate it. Have you messed with widgets with Smith yet, John? That's one of my, one of my favorito yeah. things. I, yeah. Well, it's great. Cause you can, you know, mess with stuff. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, oh, I, you know, I will share one other tip because this came from last week's episode and it also came from listener Ben, uh, who <laughs> reminds us of a fantastic uh, tip for getting an app from a screen way, you know, seven screens deep to f- perhaps the first screen. And we talked about a couple of different ways of doing it. And, you know, my favorite one uh, was to move it to the dock, scroll and then move it back up, essentially keeping the app in stasis while you moved the home screens behind it. Well, Ben reminds us that you can do this without having to use the dock. Uh, He says uh, you can drag the screens right out from underneath the apps without even worrying about it in jiggly mode, pick one or more apps. So you hold the app like you're going to move it right. And then Mm -hmm. use another finger to swipe the home screen around to get to the screen that you want to drop the app on and then let go. And that'll do it. Uh, He says, and you can move multiple apps at once after picking up one app, just tap on additional apps and they will join you. And then you can drag them all Mm -hmm. as you so choose. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I, 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 I've done this before, but again, it's one of those things that if it's not in my, my fingers, my muscle memory, I, I forgot about it. It's why we love quick tips. I know we usually start with quick tips, but today it felt right to end with one, John. So any more thoughts or is that truly our end? I think that's the end. That's the end. That's how it goes, man. I found the band. They're not too cold. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Fun, fun, fun. Yes. Very good. Thanks everybody for sending in all your stuff, all your tips, all your cool stuff found. You know, this is, your questions. We love it. It's We are very fortunate to get to do this every week, uh, especially right now, but really, truly all the time. So it's it's awesome. Any uh, any last w- words of wisdom or, or ponderings to share, my friend? No. Okay. All right. No deep thoughts. Today. No deep thoughts today. Yeah. Okay. It happens. I mean, it's the, the, the deep thoughts just, you know, mm-hmm. they sometimes stay deep. I guess that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, go leave us a review if you would, please. Uh, go to MacGeekUp.com slash reviews. That'll bring you as close as we can get to get you to our 
uh, reviews page at Apple Podcasts. We would love to have your review. It's awesome. We love them. And I'm trying to think if we have anything else. That's it. I told you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. I asked you. I didn't tell you. I don't like to tell you to do anything. But we asked. We suggested that you might like to. Because you might like to. It's at MattGeekab.com. Uh, let's see. That's that's what I got. That's what I got, John. I'd like to thank all of our sponsors. Right. Sunbasket.com slash MGG. ExpressVPN.com slash MGG. MintMobile.com slash MGG. Linode.com slash MGG. And, uh, and then, of course, all of our sponsors in the podcast marketplace, in addition to those, Eero.com slash MGG. Smiled. Software.com slash podcast. Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com. Barebones.com. If you get a 13.5, is that fun stuff? Nice. Yeah. Are you sure you don't have any deep thoughts for us, John? Uh, it's not that deep. But, um, but yeah, the one thought that I have, keep this in mind throughout the week, is don't get caught. Made up.